So we've, we've used the, the, the themes, the titles of different TV shows to be kind of our structures. We've moved through this series, All in the Family, Growing Pains, Family Ties, and then I wanted to add Family Matters because we're talking about Family Matters because family matters. It really does matter. That's been our heart as we've gone through these different passages and reflected on God's design for the family, for relationships, for marriage, for moms and dads and kids. How, how was last week for you? Was that good? Honoring your parents even when you're an adult? Was that good? Yeah, I know some of you gave some feedback, some things that you hadn't thought about before of what it looks like to honor your parents. And this idea of honoring our parents is a reflection of God's heart because to God, family matters. In fact, I want us to think this morning as we wrap this study up, and I'm going to invite you to join me if you want to, and I'm telling you ahead of time this time because some of you need some extra time, but we're going to look at Leviticus. You know where that's at? Okay. If you have your phone, it's easy, right? Just bring it up in your phone. In front of you, this is called a, a book. This is a Bible. And some of you don't know this. Those of you who raise your hands that have never seen these shows, you don't know this. In the front, there's like a table of contents, and it has all the books of the Bible listed out for you. It's pretty cool. And then it has a page number. You can go there, and you can find it. You're not laughing. Ha ha, thank you. I want to feel welcome, so thank you. Families matter. Family matters to God. And I want us to think in this term. I want us to think in term of a story that God has been telling story. He has a very specific intent in, in telling this story. And, and we're gonna, I'm going to ask you to kind of journey with me this morning in thinking of terms of a story, maybe in, primarily in the form of a movie, because we're going to talk about casting and we're going to talk about directing and, and the screenwriter and that kind of thing. God has been telling the story, and the story, we could, we could certainly argue that the story starts long before humans are created, but for the sake of our, what's in our Bible and for us this morning, I want us to think in terms of the story really does begin as soon as the first family are in place. If you reflect back on what you may remember about the opening pages of our Bible, of the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures, it begins with God creating everything that we know. And He is speaking to us through His prophet Moses. Write these things down. Write these down so people know that I created everything that you have experienced. And He very quickly zooms into Adam. And at that point, everything that's recorded there in those opening chapters, God repeatedly says, it's good, it's good, it's good. The first time that changes is when Adam is there and God looks at Adam and he says, Adam is alone and this is not good. I've, I've spent over the years a lot of time reflecting on that and, it, and I've, my brain has kind of struggled at points just saying, wait a minute, I don't understand how it's not good that Adam has everything he needs. His relationship with God is perfect. There's no sin in the picture. There's no brokenness. There's no death. There's no suffering. There's no tears. Everything is, is awesome. And it tells us that in the cool of the morning, in chapter 3, God, like He normally does, comes in the cool of the morning to talk with Abraham. What an amazing relationship between creation and Creator. Nothing in between. There's no shame. There's no guilt. 
There's no regret. Everything is good. And yet God says it's not good. It's not good that man is alone. And so he creates woman. You can read it there. And he brings the two together. And we're told they become one flesh. And the relationship between man and woman, husband and wife, the family is born. And before long, there's offspring. Because God says to the man and the woman, He says, now be fruitful. That's the intent. So from the very beginning, once the family is established, God begins to tell a story. Now, it doesn't take long, you know this, that Adam and Eve, they do what they do, right? They choose to go a different way than what God has for them. They rebel. We, the Bible calls it, we call it sin. God says, everything's provided, everything's good, just don't eat from that tree. And they disobeyed. They rebelled against it, and they ate. And the story begins to unfold, and they're in chapter 3 of Genesis. You read it. You can read it now if you want to. Just zone me out for a minute and just read chapter 3, and the story begins to unfold, and, and God begins to provide. He takes an animal, and He kills that animal and he takes that animal's blood is shed and he takes the skin from that animal and he makes some clothes to hide their 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 nakedness their shame now because of sin and he tells us he tells them he tells us that one day a seed an offspring will be born to a woman and that one born will become the messiah he will crush the head of satan satan will bruise the heel of man and would you agree that he's bruising the heel of man to this day? He continues. My, my son has a dog. Usually when things pop into my head, it's usually best not to say it, but I'm a, it popped into my head, so I'm going to say it. And I can't remember the breed, but it's a working dog breed, and it loves to nip at the, at the back of your feet. It just, it's, in, it's in its instincts. It just does it. And we have a dog, and so when it comes over, that's what it does. Our dog, Etta, and this little puppy... And he chases her all around the backyard just trying to nip and until she finally, you know what happens, right? She turns around and she goes in her big, deep voice, you know, and it lasts for about 20 seconds. And then the dog is back again and it just persists. And the other day I was watching and I thought, that kind of reminds me of Satan's doggedness of just trying to hurt and ruin and destroy and he's just not going to give up. And that's revealed to us in Genesis 3. And the story begins to unfold. And as we walk through our, our scriptures, we see God taking the family, taking relationships, people, and putting them at the center of what he's doing and saying, I want to tell a story. I want to tell a story about who I am, who he is, and his plan for us. And it's his choice, his choosing, that as he unfolds this story, he zooms in on this I'm going to say this storytelling method of people. Now, Romans tells us that creation is a part of his story, right? It says we look at creation. If you've ever been to Lake Tahoe, you've been to Yosemite, you've been for, there's Kilimanjaro. I saw Kilimanjaro um, last November from a distance, but it's like, whoa, it's just, it's, it's humbling. And it's like, wow, that didn't just happen by accident. It didn't happen over billions of years. Somebody much bigger than us and whatever forces he used, you with me? That's what Roman says. You can look and you can see it. But do you realize that as you walk through scripture, you will find a consistent storytelling method of God. And it's this, it's us, it's people. Now, there's a segment where he's focused in on Abraham and his offspring. There's a time where he focuses on the nation of Israel, the 12 tribes. 
There's a time where he focuses on prophets and he's trying to get his people's attention, get the world's attention through his prophets. And then Hebrews tells us there's a moment where God himself takes on human form and he comes and he's born. He is born in, as a baby boy to Mary to show us who God is. And what does he do? He begins to teach and reveal God. But very quickly he begins to call to himself a group of disciples, right? And those disciples are the seeds, they're the beginnings, they're the leaders of what is going to become called the church. And interwoven through all of this is family. It's marriage, it's families. We use phrases like the family of God. The the Israelites were God's family, His people. He is consistently from Genesis to today and will, I believe, continue using this, this method, this storytelling method of us. And why is that significant? It's significant because God has placed on us this weight. It's not about making us feel guilty or feel bad, but it's just the reality that God says, I want to tell the world a story. I want to tell the world the story of who I am. And my primary means of doing that, I sent my son, I have creation, I've preserved this for you, but in the day-to-day stuff of life, I want people to know who I am through you. I already picked on Katie, so can I pick on you again? Since we're all here prepared. This relationship, this husband and wife, this man and woman, this family, God says, this is how I want the world to know who I am. How you treat her, how you treat, remember Ephesians 5? How you love her like Christ loved the church, how you follow him, submit to him, and everything is unto the Lord. Woo! You know, and, and she comes first, you die for her. You, you remember Ephesians 5? I want the world to know who I am through marriage. And then I want them to watch how you function as a family. The one another's, how you love and lead. What we've been talking about the last eight weeks. Why, Jesus? Why is this stuff so important to you? Why does family matter? It matters because Jesus says, I want to tell the world a story. And I want to tell that world, this world, that story through you. Through relationships. Through marriage. Through family. Now, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at Leviticus. You with me? Okay, we're not going to... You've got three chapters that we're going to touch on. We're not going to read all three chapters. But we're going to touch at the beginning and the end of chapter 18, chapter 19, and chapter 20. And I want you to stay with me because we're going, to, we're going to kind of move through this. So let's look at 18, verse 1. The Lord speaks to Moses. Now, what's the setting here? The people of Israel, they've been set free from Egypt. Remember, 400 years of slavery, the Exodus, they wander around. They're going to eventually come into the land of Canaan. God's giving them instructions. He's preparing them in Leviticus. A lot. How many Leviticus is your like favorite book to read? Not a hand. Okay, I get it. So it's just all this stuff in there. And, and if you read all of 18, 19, and 20, you're going to find some hard stuff there, some shocking stuff. This is not a, this is not a PG message. If we read through these three chapters, it would be an R-rated message because God gets very specific about how he wants people to relate to each other and not relate to each other. Specifically, these chapters, he's preparing them to move into a culture that he's going to judge. And if you read it, you'll see, because they're doing the very things that he says here to his people not to do. In other words, in big picture, it's this. He's saying what what you experience when you go into Canaan and you see this culture, everything they're doing is not telling the story accurately of who I am In fact, everything they're doing is the exact opposite 
of who I am. When you come into this land and I put you in there, I want you to tell the story the way I want it told. And as you, if you read all three of those chapters, it's all about relationships. It's all about how we treat each other in our families and in our community. In chapter 18, verse 1, the Lord speaks to Moses. He says, talk to the Israelites, speak to the Israelites and tell them. And what is the first thing he wants them to remember? It's this, I, not me, I am the Lord your God. He, he, he lays down the context at the beginning. Do, do you see what he's doing here? Do we struggle with authority? Come on, let's just be real. We do. We struggle with authority. Do you struggle with submitting to him as in everything is unto the Lord? I know you do. And I love you. But, but, but because I, and I, I do the other authorities in my life, I, I struggle with it too. I struggle with people telling me what to do. And that's common among our experience as, as human beings, as broken people. It shows up in different ways at different times. God says, I'm the Lord your God. There's no higher authority. Don't follow the practices of the land of Egypt. Remember what you experienced when you were in Egypt? All those habits, all those practices, rituals, on and other things. The culture, are we shaped by the culture in which we live? Can we be honest about that? Seriously, please. As, as those who say, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a disciple. Let's be real. I'm shaped by the culture in which I live. Right? I only do what's in the Bible and I listen. Uh, come on. I speed. I don't take speed. I speed. I don't know if you guys even know what that is. But you know, I do. I, I struggle with that. And those little signs, I get angry at those little signs. Now, I've never been the one to put the bullet holes in them, but you never notice there's bullet holes in those things sometimes. It's not been me. But that little sign that says, and now my wife has a card that it puts it on the dat. It reads a satellite and it puts it on the speedometer. I hate it. My truck doesn't have it. I'm, I'm never buying a car newer than 2013 because it puts it right on there. And so you look down and you see your needle and you see the little sign. I'm like, Ugh. I struggle with authority. We struggle with authority. And I pick up the habits. I pick up the culture. He says, don't be, don't be practicing what you saw in Egypt where you used to live. And I also don't want you to follow the practices of the land of Canaan that you're going into. I'm bringing you into it. You must not follow their customs. You are to practice my ordinances, and you're to keep my statutes by following them. And again, he sandwiches it with this. I am the Lord, your God. Keep my statutes and ordinances. A person will live, and literally a person will be blessed. Their life will be blessed if they do them. I am the Lord. Now, if you stop there, or if you go on there, I should say, you'll read, he then gets into very specifics. And in this chapter, he, he zooms in on sexuality. He says, don't, don't practice your sexuality this way. You know, he, he, he's assuming, if you will, if that's the right word to say that God is assuming, or he's, he's expecting them to have the context of Genesis, one man, one woman. That's how God designed marriage. He designed sexual. Does sexuality come from God? Absolutely it does. It's a beautiful thing. But the designer of it said, here's how it's going to be a beautiful thing. And is it narrow? Yes, it is. There's that authority challenge again, problem. You're telling me this is a gift and it's great, but I can only experience it, enjoy it, and use it to your honor. In the, yeah, yeah. So you read 18. Not maybe now. 
Somebody's reading it right now on their phone. Okay. Welcome to church in 2021. He goes through and says, don't behave this way, don't behave this way, don't behave this way. And you read through and you're like, whoa, whoa. And he goes through and it's primarily sexuality. It touches on children too, a specific way that we treat our children. And he goes through and says, don't, and, it, and it's, it's a, it, the context is what he just said. What happens in Egypt, what happens in Canaan, what happens in Vegas does not stay in Vegas. Just saying, he, that God is saying, no, don't be this way. And at the end of 18, notice he says this in verse 24. Do not defile. The word defile he uses several times. It means to be unclean or just impure. Do not be unpure. Do not defile yourselves by any of these practices. Do you hear God? If we believe this is God and He is our God, He's saying these practices that you see in your culture around you, they will make you impure. Yeah, but God, times have, times have changed. Do you understand that? I mean, times have changed, and, you know, yeah, at one time, however, we live in California in 2021. There's good and bad to that, maybe. But, you, you know, no, no. Don't practice what you see in the culture around you. It will defile you. And then he says this. He says, the nations that I'm driving out, the people that he is judging in Canaan, I'm doing so because they have defiled themselves by doing these things. In fact, the land has become unclean. So I'm punishing it for its iniquity. And the land will, this is interesting, the land will vomit out its inhabitants. The metaphor here is almost like the, the, the land itself, the, the um, I blanked on the word, not the ecology. That's the right word? Nature. You know, the plants, the trees, the streams, the, what God has created. They want this out. It goes against nature, is what Paul will say in Romans. They want, bleh, you know, get out. But you are to keep my statutes and ordinances. You must not commit any of these detestable acts. Look at verse 30, chapter 18. You must keep my instruction to not do any of the detestable customs that were practiced before you, so that you do not defile yourselves by doing them. And he says one more time, because I am the Lord, your God. We, we have to cap, catch that. Because this really is about a relationship with God and a submission to His authority. Would you agree? This is where the struggle is. Say, well, I would never do the things that I read there. We might think them. We might do them in other ways. We might, you know, if we can, if we can keep it hidden from other people. Uh-huh. Can't keep it hidden from God. Let me give you a couple of thoughts. I'm going to give you four. Here's the first two from 18. It's the number one is this. God is the author of this story. God is the author of this story. I'm not. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. I am not. You, you, you following me? This story that I read and sometimes I struggle with and I think, wow, God, you're really harsh. Or God, you're so stuck on these things. And you, you, you know, holiness and righteousness and sin. And you use these really judgmental words and concepts. And if it's somebody else you're talking about, I'm good. But when I start seeing it's to me and how I live and how um, now I'm struggling. See, I'm not the, I'm not the author of, of my story. I like to think I am. 
I like to make decisions like I am or to choose my life like I am. But do, do you hear me? Do you hear more important? Do you hear God, what he's saying here? He's saying, I'm the author. I'm the Lord. I'm God. And you may disagree with me and you may not like it, but I'm telling you, this is the story. This is who I want people to know, meaning himself. And you, Kurt, Kurt and Becky as a, as a husband and wife, Kurt and Becky, the family, Crossroads Church family, marriages, families, I want the world to know who I am because I'm the author. God is the author of the story, not me. He's the, in fact, he's the screenwriter, the producer, and the director. Amen? He's the screenwriter, the producer, and the director. Number two, God directs his family. And I see this as application for me, and hopefully you will too. God directs his family to stay on script. To stay on script. Where's the script? This is the script. When you read chapters 18, 19, and 20, and I hope you will this week, today maybe in its entirety, you're going to look at that and go, whoa, that's the script. And we're not under the law. Our relationship with God is not established by keeping the law. But does that mean the law does no longer reflect God's heart? No, it still does. It still does. Last week we talked about honoring your parents. Where does that come from? That comes from the law. <laughs> That comes from the Ten Commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't treat people this way. He gets into all kinds of specifics in these chapters. Don't treat people this way. When you're harvesting your field, don't go all the way out to the edges. Leave some unharvested. Why, God? Because there's people that are poor and hungry, and they, they for whatever reason, they need to supply for themselves and their family. So you, you purposely, when you run your combine through your 40 acres or whatever, you don't go all the way out to the edge. You leave a little bit of unharvested. But yeah, but that's profit. That's my, my crop. You with me? That's in there. You'll see it. He says, leave a little bit so that others can come and they can have food. This is how I want you to treat each other. I want you to stay on script. Maybe we can define sin this way. It's when we go off script. It's when we pick up the script and we're going to shoot a scene. The scene is, what is today? March 28th. So we get up in the morning and the director of the Holy Spirit says, okay, here's the, here's the script for today. Monday, March 29th. And I open up and I go, okay. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Okay, and love others in the same way. Okay, good. Oh, let me read Ephesians 5. Love your wife like Christ loves the church and gave himself. Okay, okay, Jesus, I got my script for today. And then as I go through the day, will I be tempted to go off script? Oh, yeah, I will. Yeah. Meanwhile, God is saying, hold on, I'm the director, I'm the, I'm the producer, I'm the screenwriter, and I want you to stay on script. What's the big deal? The big deal is God says, as director, producer, screenwriter, I'm telling a story. I'm making a movie. And I want everybody to see it because I want people to know who I am. And when you go off script, ah, it messes with me telling the story. Are you with me? Is, that, is the picture making sense? Good. God has designed family relationships to tell his story. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 1. Beginning of the next chapter, the Lord speaks to Moses. Speak to the entire Israelite community and tell them, be holy. Why is that a big deal? 
Because I, the Lord your God, let me just remind you who the authority is in this, and who's the director. I, the Lord your God, am holy. Each of you. This is interesting where he goes. After saying that, notice the first thing where he goes. Each of you is to respect his mother and father. So, Titus, Violet, I wish your dad was still here. Respect your mother and father. That's the first thing that he, the practical explanation or expression he says of be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Did Jesus display honor for the Father when he, when he was here on earth in a human body? Would you, would you say that what's revealed to us he did, didn't he? Yes. Father, not my will, but your will be done. Father, I pray. Father, would you, Father, Father. In fact, we're told that he met regularly in the early morning with his heavenly Father, with God, even though they were one. He displays for us this honor. I want you to respect your mother and father. You're to keep my Sabbath. Again, remember, I'm the Lord your God. I'm the director. I'm the producer. I'm the screenwriter. Do not turn to worthless idols. Don't worship anybody else. Don't make cast images of gods for yourself. Do we make cast images for ourselves today? Says the mechanic, yes. There's a couple idols in my driveway. There's a 2014 Ford F-150 lift kit, big tires, you know, there. And I've cast this image, and there's my, my idol. I have an idol on a couple of walls in my house, these big flat screen thingies. And sometimes I worship at the altar of that, the, wor- the altar of Netflix or the altar of Amazon Prime or the altar of Hulu. They have different names. No, let's not go there because that's not. Yeah. <laughs> now you're getting personal. Don't worship these other idols. Don't make cast images. Don't give your worship, your devotion to anyone else but me because I am the Lord your God. Now, from verse 5 on down to verse 35, he really gets into justice and ethical treatment of others. And you can read it. He, it's, it's like a shopping list. Don't do this. Don't do this. Do this. And he just he delves into what it looks like how we treat each other. Now, don't miss this. He opens this chapter and says, I want you to be holy like I'm holy. Then he tells them how to treat other people. You see it? Don't we think of holiness as, yes, verily, verily, I say unto you, you know, behold, Katie, I'm glad you're here. Don't we we get this picture of holiness, you know, the the clothing and appearance and, and externals and how we hold ourselves. It's interesting to me that God says, be holy because I'm holy, and then let me tell you what that looks like, and then he delves into treating one another. When Jesus says the greatest commandment, the one that fulfills the Old Testament law, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second one is to love your neighbor like yourself. You guys, that's holiness. Holiness should be seen in our marriages. Holiness should be seen in our parenting and children with your parents and teenagers, how we treat each other. You read it here in this chapter. If you drop down to verse 36, towards the end of chapter 19, he again, boy, he just really repeats this. I am the Lord your God. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Remember who I am. Remember what I've done. Remember our story so far. Keep my statutes. Keep my ordinances. Do them. I am am the Lord. I'm master. I'm God. I'm the ultimate authority. Here's the third of the four points. 
God's story is an autobiography. And we got we to capture this, church. The story that God's trying to tell, it really is all about Him. It's not about me. It's not about us. You see, I'm, I'm not the main character. Nope, nope. You're not going to get, you know, when it goes into, not reruns, what do they call that? When it's shown over and over, you know, Seinfeld is shown a million times. Syndication, thank you. I knew Don would know. We're not going to get royalties. We're not going to, no, 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 because it's not about us. It's an autobiography. It's God telling the story, not about us, but Him. He wants this world to truthfully know Him, who He is. And he's come to me and my wife and my family and us and his church and said, okay, here's the script. I want people to know who I am. I'm telling this autobiography because I want the world to know. Here's your, here's your script. Here's your part. Paul, this is how you treat your wife. Really? Yeah. What? Well, he loves his wife, so he, she's more like, what? No, but Paul says, yeah, but, but what's the big deal? Because I'm telling a story, and the story is this, Cantrell's. God, this is who he is. This is who he's not. This is who he is. This is his love for mankind. This is his plan. This, these are his eternal purposes. And I want the people in your life to know that. Okay, how do we do that? Paul, love your wife like Jesus loves the church. Gave himself up for her. Dolly, you know it, right? It's an autobiography. And that's a, that is, is maybe the aha moment for some of us that we need to have. Is I've got to quit living my life like I'm the main character in the story. Because I'm not. Is that hard? It is. I'll, I'll, at least I'll say it. it is, yeah. I thought I was the headliner. I thought the life of Kurt was about Kurt. Just saying. <laughs> and it's not, is it? Is it? No, it's about him. He's telling this autobiography, and he's using us to do it. Look at chapter 20. Look at chapter 20. You with me still? Okay, is it warm in here to you? Okay, so it's just me. It's a personal problem. I'll deal with it. This is a, dude, nobody said anything about my Africa suit, by the way. You like this? Yeah, I got this last time when I was in Tanzania. They measure you, they make it, and hopefully it'll fit long term. I'll get a bigger one when I go in a couple of weeks. Chapter 20. The Lord speaks to Moses. He says, Say to the Israelites, any Israelite or alien residing in Israel who gives any of his children to Molech must be put to death. We'll explain that. The people of the country are to stone him. They're to execute him. I will turn against that man and cut him off from his people because he gave his offspring to Molech, defiling my sanctuary, his presence, and profaning my holy name. One of the things that's happening in this culture that God is judging and they're coming into is that they were offering their children as human sacrifice to their God and their worship. You see this culture, and we, we read that, right? You can read there in the chapter, and you're like, how can they do that? How can, the, how can a culture get to a point where they so devalue the life of children? Careful. You with me? Be careful. Because we find ourselves in a culture still today, and we can, it's not, it's not about politics. Okay? It's not about where you land on the politic line, conservative or, or, or liberal or progressive or whatever. That's not what it's about. 
What's happening in our culture right now, we are grappling with and we are, we are broken, we're divided even over how we value the life of children, particularly before we meet them, before they are delivered, they're born. But God's very clear in His Word, Psalm 139, we cannot mistake God's heart, that He's there, He's present in the womb, and He's shaping, and He's, he's very much aware of every little detail of that life. God sees it as life, and He sees it as precious. And as a culture we've done, we're doing what we're doing So let's be careful not to point the finger at this culture without looking at our own and saying, okay, God, what are you telling us? You read through that chapter and you come down to verse 22. He says, you're to keep all of my statutes and all of my ordinances. They're all important. They all play a part in this script, this story, so that the land where I'm bringing you to live will not vomit you out like it did those who are in there presently. You must follow the statutes of the nations. Uh, You must not follow the statutes, their practices, that culture of the nations I'm driving out before you, for they did all these things. And I abhorred them. Does God hate things? It's hard to say, isn't it? Sometimes, because God is is so gracious, He's so forgiving, He's so merciful, He's so loving. But don't mistake His love and and His grace and His mercy that they void out or they minimize His righteousness, His holiness, and His justice. Is justice a good thing? It is when it's applied to somebody else. Somebody who's offended us, hurt us, wronged us. Don't we want? Anybody get these little class action settlement cards in the mail? Man, I get them all the time, right? Hey, you get a dollar twenty-five coming to you. You know the settlement of that thing. I got one the other day. It was less than two dollars. You know we want justice. We want our rights. But what about when God comes and says, "I want justice," and how you're living is not just, and the just thing to do is for you to experience the consequences of your sin, of your injustice. The way we know how deeply ingrained this is in God's character is, is that. Just a piece of wood, right? It's a symbol. But it points us back to a moment in human history where the Creator says, I will die. I will climb up onto that. I'll let them put me on that cross. No one takes my life from me. I give it, He said. And I will die as the Creator. I will die in the place of creation. Why, Jesus? Because I'm a just God. I'm a holy God. I'm a righteous God. And the wages of sin is death. I know this is heavy stuff, isn't it? He says, you're not to, you're not to behave like what you see there. I'm, I'm judging those things. They were doing horrible things. He says in verse 22, we, I just read it, didn't I? Keep all of my statues, all my ordinances, do them so that the land where I'm bringing you will not vomit you out. You must not follow the statutes of the nations I'm driving out before you, for they did all these things and I abhorred them. I hate those things. You, verse 26, are to be holy. You're to be holy to me. What does that mean? It means God decides what holy is and what holy is not. Not culture, not popular opinion, not who's ever in power politically. You with me? That's what God's saying. I'm just telling you what he's saying. He's saying, no, no, that's not who establishes right and wrong. That will come and go. That will change. Right? One of the things that we're, we're, we're... 
trying to face, maybe we're not, maybe we're not wanting to face, but our past as a country, there was a time in this country where you could own somebody. You know what I'm talking about? Why was that possible? Because the majority or those in power said that that's good. God says, I don't care what the public opinion says or who's in power. I decide what is holy and what is not. And you, as my people, align yourself with me. Because remember, I'm the director, the producer, and the screenwriter. I'm telling a story, and I need you to align. I want you, I'm imploring you to line up with me. Be holy. You are to be holy to me, the way I see holiness, because I, the Lord, am holy. What is the standard for holiness? It's God's nature. It's His character. Do we get that? It doesn't change. So we read this stuff in the Old Testament and go, whoa, glad God doesn't, isn't like that now. Well, He is like that. He's still holy, just, and righteous. And yes, He's gracious, and He's merciful, and He's patient, and He's loving. He's all those things. I am the Lord, I the Lord am holy, and I have set you apart. It's a beautiful phrase. Can I translate it this way? You've been cast into the movie. Okay? You're not an extra. You're actually, you got lines to say. Okay, you got scenes that you got lines to say. The Holy Spirit will tell you what to say when your lines come up. Jesus promised that. But you're in the movie. You've been cast, Don. You get it? You better show up. We're going to be shooting tomorrow morning. When you get up, the, the film is going, camera's going, heaven's watching, the world is watching. I have set you apart. I've cast you in my story. I've taken you from the nations and I've put you in the story. Here's the fourth and final one. God's story is cast primarily with his family. There's other characters in this story, but do you realize we're the primary cast? You with me? You still, this makes sense still? There's one main character, it's God. And then he tells this story that he's, that he's unfolding this epic adventure through us. Why does family matter? Because to God, families matter. Relationships matter. How husbands and wives treat each other. How we keep our covenant of marriage. How we love and serve and lead our children. How we raise them up. How we offer forgiveness. How we hold each other accountable. accountable. And as a family... And then right here, if you're a part of Crossroads Family, there's, there, it's intentional that our, our URL is crossroadsfamily.org because we're a family that God wants to tell this story to Carmichael through. There's other families in our community too. There's a couple down the road. There's other ones. You with me? That's why family matters. It's why holiness is so important. I don't need to tell you we live in a time particularly in the West, particularly in California, where we want to remove all boundaries, we want to remove all sense of right and wrong, and we're all free to discover what is right and wrong. God is loving, He's gracious, and He is patient, but He abhors it. Always has. When we say, no, 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 we were going to rewrite the script. This is okay. In our circumstance, blah, blah, blah. God says, no, I hate it. I hate it. Why, 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 are you, why, is it, why are you so upset about it? Because I'm the director, I'm the producer, I'm the screenwriter. I have the story I want people to know. And it's all about me, it's all about him. And I want them to have an accurate portrayal of who I am. 
And I'm asking you to do that. And when you change the script and you read, I hate that. You with me? Are you glad you're here this morning? Okay, good. All right. You're going to be out of here in a little bit. After we spend some time worshiping him. We're going to worship him in just a few minutes. We're going to come to the Lord's table in just a minute. After I ask a couple of questions that I want you to think about. And I encourage you to prepare your heart. You've heard, I am the Lord your God, how many times this morning? Are you ready to worship him as the Lord your God? Good. These three questions. Why is my life, my marriage, my family important to God's story? I hope that you can write down that question. Are they up here? They might be up here in a minute. Write them down. They might be in your bulletin. They're in your bulletin. Good. Thank you. Take that with you. If you're in an e-group tonight, you may talk about these, but if not, give some, some time to this question. Why is, my, why is Kurt and Becky's marriage, why is Kurt and Becky's family, why are my grandkids, why are my grandkids, how they're living, my relationship with them, why is that important to God's story? You should be able to write down specific answers to that question. Number two, how would those close to me classify my life story? You see the suggestion? Did I give you suggestions there? Is it a drama? <laughs> you have four daughters. It's a drama. One of them's here. Just saying, for the record. Love you, Courtney. And those that are watching. Is it a suspense? Well, I'm not sure. Does he love Jesus or not? I don't know. Some days I think he does. Some days I'm not so sure. What's important to him? What are his pro- I don't know. We're going to find out as the plot unfolds. Is it epic? Is it a gladiator or a Lord of the Rings, you know, trilogy? Is it a love story? Don's shaking his head now. The trilogy, the Lord of the Rings. Is it a parody? Is it a foreign film? Nobody can understand it unless there's words on the bottom. Is it a comedy? Is it a tragedy? Is it a horror film? A mystery? A documentary? The facts are all there, but boy, there's really (laughs) nothing engaging. Sorry if you like documentaries. I like some. There's others, right? There's other. What The people that are close to you. Go to your spouse. Go to your kids. Okay, just in one word. What what you know about me and how I'm living my life. what, What kind of movie is it? And then be ready to receive whatever they say. Thirdly, finally, what is hindering you? What is getting in the way of you living a holy life? might be secret sin. It might be an ongoing struggle with sin that you do not have victory over. It might be an area that you're defiant. It might be an area that you are distracted and you don't care about what God wants. It can be a lot of different things. But what is it that's hindering you, keeping me from living a holy life? Because God says, I'm the Lord your God and I'm holy and I've set you apart to be holy to me by my standards. Why does that matter? Because he's the director, he's the producer, and he's the screenwriter, and he's telling a story. And if you and I want to stand before him one day and hear, well done, good, good and faithful servant, then I need, to live, I need to live out the script that he's called me to live out right here today and now, particularly in my family and my marriage. You with me? Tell them you're at church and you'll call them back in just a few minutes. Let's come to the Lord's table. Would you join me there? 
I'm not going to read the verse, you know it, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is talking to the church in Corinth about coming to the Lord's table, and he chastises them for what it had become. And there's a phrase there that I want to throw out. He says, examine yourself. This is another way of, of asking that third question. What's hindering me from living a holy life? Will you do that between you and God in just this, these 30 seconds? You can continue it after the service, but start it at least now. Examine yourself. Examine how you're living your life. It's not about being worthy to come to the Lord's table. We come to, we're invited because we've put our faith in Jesus Christ, and we are broken, sinful people. We are not without sin. But he says, before you come and you take the bread and you eat it, and before you take the cup and you drink it, examine yourself. Don't come foolishly. You can read it there in 1 Corinthians 11, the results of that. We saw the results of it in Leviticus to people that turn their back on God. As those who put our faith in Jesus Christ, he says, you're invited to the table. I want you to remember who you are to me and what I've done for you. But before you do it, he says, examine yourself. And as you examine yourself, you confess that to God and you thank him for his forgiveness for His mercy and His love and His justice and His holiness and His righteousness. And you say thank you and you eat in remembrance of Him. That same night with His disciples, He took the cup. And He says, this cup represents my blood which is poured out for you. He's about to go to the cross. Paul in 1 Corinthians says, when you come to this moment and you do this in obedience and you remember, just like those first disciples, examine yourself. Again, I want to be clear, it's not about being worthy. He makes us worthy. He adopts us into his family. He puts us in the script and says, I want to tell my story through you. But when you come and you remember who I am and what I've done and why and who you are to me, make sure we're good. Make sure we're good. And he said, take the cup and drink and do it in remembrance of him. I'm going to invite Jan to come, continue to prepare our hearts for responding this morning and worshiping him. Jan, would you come and lead us in prayer?